Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is the K-Box One-Arm Row. This is a great exercise to tick quite a few boxes when it comes to your training with the Eccentric K-Box. For this, set the strap and give the wheel a spin. I really like using that toe plate as a support for the back leg to allow me to really get my hips back and hold my position. From there, you're going to try to fight that huge eccentric load when it's pulling you down to not let your shoulders fall too far and give a really big hard pull driving your shoulders back and your elbow back behind you. Keys to this are just to make sure that you're braced the whole time through and you're ready because when that thing starts pulling you back down, it's really going to try to break your posture. Again, this is a huge bang for your buck exercise and one that I'm sure that you and your athletes are going to love so give the one-arm row on the K-Box a try. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Andrew, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Jay, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked for this. You know, this is another one that, unfortunately, because of the world we're living in, we've had to bounce around and, and retry a couple times. But I think that what we get to talk about today is something really important and something that a lot of people have discussed a little bit, a big need for. But before we get too far into this, let's let everybody know, you know, who you are, where you're at, and how you got over there today. Oh, thanks, Jay. Um... Yeah, so um, just a little bit of background about me. Um, I, I kind of, my original background in kind of sports science was um, when I went over to America to do a degree myself. I did a degree in biology um, uh, and in exercise science over in Oregon, uh, where I was playing basketball as well. Um, so obviously during that time, gained the chance to compete and experience some of, some of that environment. Um, then when I came back over to the UK, I played professional basketball for a year before doing my master's degree at Leeds Met over here. The master's degree was in sport and exercise physiology, um, and I got a chance to intern in professional rugby. Um, so that's when I really got a, you know, got a hold of S&C and, and wanted to work within that environment. Um, I then moved on to work in... Um, international basketball so work with with great britain basketball uh for a number of years and got a job at sheffield hallam university which is one of the one of the largest sporting universities in the uk 
Um, and at the time we, we developed the S&C department there, it was uh, the biggest provider of strength and conditioning um, in the UK. Um, so we had over 700 athletes coming through um, in 34 different sports clubs. Um, so it was a big, big um, you know, university environment. A little bit different to the States in that we have um, links with professional teams um, and international athletes. So we, we have kind of, you know, 32 year old Americans who used to play at division one universities in America will come over, do a master's degree, play with a professional team. And so we'd have kind of athletes like that coming through. So a lot of logistical challenges. Um, and then that's um, kind of when we started looking at aspects of the, the IUSCA, which we'll obviously get on to talk about. Um, where just within the UK, it was, you know, there's kind of a handful of universities who were doing good stuff from a strength and conditioning perspective, but no sharing of best practice. No one really knows what's going on. Um, the universities in the UK didn't really understand it. So, you know, there's the, the old discussions about what people are getting paid and standards and things like that. So we looked at how we could collaborate and work together on that. And then through some links that I had in America and um, everything else, we, we managed to get some involvement there and realized that an international organization was probably the the best way to approach it as as you know the the world has been more connected through online and everything else so um that's kind of where we were and then we had a lot of different ideas of how we could grow and develop it um and it was kind of at the same time that in the uk universities were, were starting to offer degrees in strength and conditioning and master's degrees in strength and conditioning um which was pretty new because obviously before it was all you know exercise science maybe or or physiology and things like that um so we wanted to make sure that you know we're doing the best we could to ensure that those degrees were quality and producing practitioners that you know could go into the field and actually produce <laughs> you know be be impactful so looked at all different ways that we could do that and we've we've, we've worked on a few things um that we think um, can make a can make a real difference yeah, and I think that's rad because I think that, you know, what we talk about a lot is, isn't that kind of just like the original, like even before to Olympic lift or not to Olympic lift, <laughs> before that, um, you know, internet slap fight started, the, the initial conversation or argument was always that you don't learn what you need to learn in school, right? Is that there's the the book smart and then the, well, what do we used to call it? Um, like the, uh, the under the bar experience, or you've yeah. got to be on the floor to understand. And, you know, you only get so much from a physiology book. So taking a bigger picture and having a group that can identify and help that process in the beginning, I think is vital. Yeah, I think that is, that is really one of the major points that we, looked at and the original kind of one of the original ethos that we, we were uh, going with was bridging the gap um, and, and particularly with the launch of the journal that we had was was that bridging the gap idea because like you say you you get those areas of um, coaches who who work in the field and they they spend 15 hours a day in the gym coaching athletes and they don't get time to do research or read the research or they don't even have access to the research because they're paywalled in journals and things like that. 
And then the other side of it is you've now got the academics who are doing nothing but um, carrying out research in the lab um, and, and teaching, you know, on these courses and, and they never actually get to coach athletes or know what's going on in the field. And what, what we tend to see is those academics are looking at finer and finer details, you know, that reductionistic approach of how this muscle works or this fine, you know, what, what activates within this exercise and things like that. And coaches on the other hand, are looking at that more holistic approach of what, you know, how does it actually influence my athlete on this day when they come in late and tired and everything else. And, you know, you've got this huge area in between of, well, how are we going to take this and actually apply it? And like you say, it's, it's not something that you generally will learn on a degree. You know, most people, when they look back at what they've learned on their degrees, out of the textbooks, they, they didn't learn anything about how to apply it or what's useful or anything else. And then equally, you have people who've just gone and done internships and developed, you know, in, in the field, who've learned all those coaching aspects, but then maybe they didn't pick up a, a, as much of the background knowledge on physiology and anatomy and biomechanics and things like that. Um, so, yeah, the, the, one of the main areas of the organization was to look at, well, how can we bring this together? How can we bring practitioners, coaches together, get them collaborating on research, um, you know, make sure that these degrees are actually developing people who have some practical experience. So one of the things within the degree accreditation, which we've done, is to, to pass that accreditation, every student has to have done at least 750 practical hours of SNC, um, which is something to totally new within you know, SNC certifications and accreditations. But it's something we thought was essential. Um, and we, we had a lot of universities turn around and say, oh, we don't think we can do that, it's too much to ask. But, you know, in my opinion, I don't even think that's enough, to be honest, but at least it's a stepping stone. At least it's putting something in there that we're saying, you know, if, if we're going to say someone graduates as an SNC practitioner and they've never even done any guaranteed practical work, you know, I don't think as a profession that's something that we're, we're wanting. And it's not going to help us in the long run when we're talking about standards and value and what we're worth and what we should get paid if if we're if we're having these graduates that we that we haven't even developed properly so that that's just an example of one of the kind of minimum requirements that we're trying to put in there um, and it kind of safeguards it safeguards the industry a little bit then because you know i i think some universities in the uk saw that snc was popular so they just wanted to put out all these degrees without thinking well are there any jobs for these for these people you know and they they're not really caring what they teach them as long as they come and pay them the twenty thousand dollars a year to to come and study for that degree they're not too fussed so we wanted to try and put some safeguards there and develop it that way um, so obviously the degree accreditation is one aspect. The journal is definitely one aspect um, because we've made it free, 100% free, free to submit, free to publish. Um, you don't have to be affiliated with the university. So coaches can write articles and submit um, and things like that. And it's another area that we, we hope can make a difference because um, obviously within scientific publication and in journals, typically, you have to pay a few thousand dollars to submit an article or get it published. 
Um, often you have to be affiliated with the university to do that. Um, to even read the research, you have to have a subscription or be part of a university to access it. Um, so we wanted to kind of remove all those barriers and say, look, anyone can submit, anyone can publish, you know, it doesn't have to be the most valid study. We, we want to open up a little bit to case studies and access some of the wisdom of experienced coaches um, and, and, and publish some of those things to help, help try and bridge that gap. Yeah, I think that's important because I think that, especially if you're going to ask for coaches to contribute, the double blind control group stuff is going to be hard because you're dealing with a team. So how do you determine which half you want to do the stuff you think is going to help them more with and which half you're just like, Meh, we'll see, you know? Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the hard thing with, you know, when you look in a, science and, and like you said it's where that split between the the researchers and the coaches comes in because the researchers are, are looking for that really reliable and valid study that double blind trial on that small isolated aspect and that doesn't really matter to a lot of coaches you know and you know this so then so then you get the other the other side of it where coaches will write some very informal blog posts without any evidence or anything else and just their own opinion so then, you know, no, no researchers or serious academics want to even take notice of that because it, it hasn't even referenced anything or taken any thought. So then you're left with that big void. So, you know, can we bring it together a little bit? Can these coaches use some references, bring a little bit of data in there, um, you know, do some, an, a little bit of analysis and formalize that, that kind of blog post a little bit into into something that's evidence-based practice at least um, and then start bridging the gap and then hopefully um, university researchers can do the same the other way so they'll look at oh well this this coach has, has applied these strategies and it's worked in this scenario how can we now do a study on some of those aspects in that specific scenario and see if it works in our a little bit more lab-based trial and they'll keep edging in towards each other to help bridge that gap. And I think, I think it's a good way to do it, particularly by making it free. Um, uh, you know, there's no reason then that people shouldn't want to collaborate and, and do it. Yeah, I think that really when you talk about it that way, it, it, it is like a scratch and scratch, right? Because it's like, oh, well, because that's another thing that coaches complain about, right? Is that the research is always like 10 years behind or whatever crazy number it is that yeah. people like to say. <laughs> but really like, you're, you're ticking a big box that a lot of us have, have said needs to be ticked a lot more often, you know, cause you go to these, you know, you go to see coaches talk and it'll be like school X's speed program, but they never give you numbers. Mm. Like, like these drills are neat. This is cool. Did they get faster? Because yeah. if your speed program doesn't get them faster, it's a slow program. Like, I don't, you know, I don't care what it is. Like, these drills can look neat and, you know, you can do whatever you want that looks fancy. But if you don't have anything to tell people, this is what we did. This is where we started. This is where we finished. Like, who cares? Yep. Like, really? Yep. 
Well, that, that's why, you know, the principles of science are really important to coaches as well. So it's not just, you know, if, you, if you're coaching a team thinking about how you can, you know, make it the most valid and reliable and totally evidence-based thing you can, but how can you look at what evidence is available, think about how that might apply to your team and situation, implement it, document it, you know, analyze your data and results, look at what worked, look what didn't work, evaluate it, and then make adjustments and then do it again. I think that's what the, a lot of the best SNC coaches and practitioners do, do anyway. You know, they're not the ones who say, I've always done it this way and that's how it's done and I'm not changing it for anything. You know, they're the ones who are willing to say, well, actually, I had a few injuries last year or we didn't improve much in, in, you know, our power numbers didn't really go up last year. Let me look at my programming, see what I did. Was there anything different I could have done? Let me look at a previous year when we really did manage to improve it. What did we do differently? And use that, that that's, you know, then you're using those principles of science in your coaching. Um, and it's really important that we do that because, you know, as coaches, as humans, we, we're all biased to, you know, our own beliefs and, and what we think works or what we've heard someone talk about on the internet who's, who said this program's the best. So we say, oh yeah, this program's the best rather than actually looking at the data and looking and seeing what we do. So like you say, it really is that two-way process where there's something to, to be learned from the practitioners. There's something to be learned from the researchers and how can we bring it all together, you know, under that strength and conditioning banner. Yeah. Because again, like, how much better off would we all be if we actually displayed before stimulus, after, and then I mean, that simple metric in, its, uh, in and of itself, then having some PhD candidate pick it up and pick it apart. Because even though we might think we have an idea as to what the driving reason for that measurement increasing or decreasing was. I don't necessarily know if any coaches have the time to peel all the layers of the onion back as much mm -hmm. as we would want. Um, because like, what if they got faster, but the reason they got faster wasn't what we think. Yep. Would that then change? Maybe not how you, did it but like what you would do in conjunction with it or how it would fit later into a program or things of that nature yeah it's that it's that tricky balancing act um that the coach has and that that's what makes it so difficult um but it's it's again why as coaches we really we we need to be open-minded and not not think that you know be too stuck in one way of doing things um and as much you know i think i think especially at the collegiate level now or the professional level we we do collect enough data it's often that we we don't really use it or look at it properly you know i think teams now have all different types of testing equipment and they'll go through all different testing batteries but if you kind of ask what you do with the data it's kind of uh, we we kind of look at it or monitor it, but nothing really much happens with it. 
So I think it's just, it's starting to take those steps of how it can be used better. And I think, I think some of the researchers could help feed into that process a little bit. I think, you know, getting some interns to help in that process a little bit. Um, and, and just taking that side of it seriously, like be willing to look at your data and accept if maybe it's not gone quite as well as you'd hoped it was. You know, we, I, I think we all kind of tend to turn a blind eye a bit too easily. And we, we like to think that all the successes are, are, are down to us and all the failures are down to someone else. But, you know, just taking a nice, a nice step back and look at the data a bit more impartially and, and you know, reviewing things a little bit. And I think, I think as a profession, that's only going to help us. It's only going to help um, professionalize our industry. Like I say, if we're wanting to be valued more and be paid more and have more job security, we, we have to do things like that. Um, and it's one of, the, one of the things of the external evaluation program that we, we've brought in with the IUSCA is to look at things like that, where we have people independently come in and help you audit and review your department and it's not to come in and say you know you you guys are doing this terribly or this is rubbish or you should you should olympic lift or you, you should do the whatever it's to it's to you know sit down and ask you to produce what you've done why you've done it your results your how you're reviewing that um uh, so that you're at least going through that process of rationalizing it and understanding it um and then we can give some advice and support and say, have you thought of doing this? Have you, have you looked at maybe trying this? How do you know that this is because of this? Um, and and we, we go through all aspects of the department. So we look at the staffing, you know, how many coaches do you have? How many athletes do each of those coaches see? Um, you know, how much do they get paid? Who do they feed into? What are their, what are, what's the coach um, evaluation? like uh what's the cpd you know the professional development opportunities for them um and we produce a report based on all of that um linking to you know what we've experienced in different fields in terms of best practice recommendations for salaries um all of which can be you know passed on to the athletic director and, and things like that but to try and give that independent uh, viewpoint of what the sports performance department actually does and the impact it actually has and showing that they're trying to develop and be better um, and our hope for that is that it will help professionalize the industry and have that value and, and I think for for people like athletic directors and things like that and you know people high up in the organization if they see that sports performance S&C departments are going through that kind of process. It helps legitimize it. it. It helps show that they're taking it seriously and, you know, doing the best they can. Well, I think that that's important for us to do, period. Like, I think that it's probably something that is a little nerve wracking. And, you know, whenever you bring in a third party to kind of, you know, look under the hood and see how you've been taking care of the engine, there's always the, what if it backfires? Right. Mm -hmm. But yep. I think that, you know, like the first thing that pops in my head that, that this could lead to is like, obviously the benefits of 
because they're you guys are going to come in and we would all assume more often than not that it's like well if you guys want all these other things to be done and you only have three people coaching 400 athletes i don't know how you're going to get that done but yep. the ability to possibly have someone else come in and look to help with streamlining different things i think is really the overarching benefit that it could come from that because there are different ways of looking at things and setting things up and, and making things smoother and more simplistic or, you know, again, to use the word again, streamlined, especially when it comes to collection and implementation of data. Like I think those things are super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think um, like you say, good good programs do do it or a form of it anyway you know if you speak to if you speak to some good coaches that you know they probably have or, or just even informally they'll discuss with you what they do at their program and they're happy to take feedback from you and they'll discuss their programming and you know so that process does happen at good places but the idea of this is to formalize it formalize it a bit more which is what i mean we, we got this from other industries other industries do it um you know in healthcare in in biological sciences in things like physiotherapy and uh, sports medicine they they kind of go through these processes because they value what that independent robust audit process means and how important it is um so, so that's kind of what, where we got the ideas and it's something that we think is important because like you say, it's not, it's not to come in and say you guys are doing terribly or to say, why have you only got three coaches when another school has 20? You, you know, we, because we, we obviously have to take into account different finances and budgets and the way things are going. So, you know, everything needs to be, be looked at on that bespoke basis of, well, where are you guys at now? What, what is your operating budget? You know, and if, if for instance, you only have three coaches, but we really feel you probably need four or five, we can write that in the report and you can give that to your athletic director. You know, if, if one of your coaches is only paid $30,000 and they're working 50 hour weeks, we can give you, a, you know, we can report on that and say, you know, for the impact of, that this person's having, they should really be paid more, you know, or, um, you know, look at those different aspects of the department and say, well, you know, how are you looking after your athletes? You know, what processes are you putting in place to really ensure student athlete health and well-being? Um, and, and we can, you know, we can give you ideas of best practice for that, uh, review what you're currently doing. Um, you know, let you know what you're doing really, really well. Um, and again, give you that in a report so you can give that to the athletic director and say, look, this is the great job we're doing. You know, you should value us. Um, because typically what we get is um, most S&C coaches feel a little bit undervalued. They feel like the athletic director doesn't fully understand what they're doing or what the value is. Um, and, and they're the kind of common themes that we, 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 we see over and over. Um, and I think that things like this external evaluation are ways of promoting that value and demonstrating that value to, to a wider audience. Which is important 
and the massive scale because that whole idea of student athlete wellness and well-being is the number one thing that departments are talking about now understanding what best practices are in that realm can get a bit cluttered because there's so many different aspects to it but i think also the third part is that a lot of those programs are things that we push for um and we are trying to get across to people that are important and are going to be performance related but they kind of get thrown out with the bathwater because they're they're things that at times they aren't the sexy things it's really the meat and potatoes of the stuff that we should be doing that departments don't necessarily get too keen on because it's not fancy it's not a wearable it's it's the simple stuff there's so many there's so many aspects of the department that get overlooked in this you know even things as simple as what's the department vision what's the mission you know how are the how are the everyday objectives feeding into that you know do all the staff share that vision and mission um you know things like how are the staff developed you know on a day-to-day -day basis when when do when do the coaches get reviewed and evaluated and how does that evaluation happen what do they get in you know out of it do they do they get um sent on courses and developed and and made into better coaches during their time or are they just told they have to work 50 hour weeks and and that's it um you know it's, so there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into the background running of the department um and a lot of that like you say gets missed then in that uh, when when we then discuss with higher up levels at the university um you know they don't understand the overall operation and running and sometimes when when it's just the the coach who who tells them it, it doesn't come across as well as if someone independently tells them that um you know if 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 you're always asking for more money and you say you're worth more money it's like ah well maybe but if someone independently comes in and says well their their value is actually probably higher than that it it has a little bit more impact um so there's things that that independent review can offer that that gives something a little bit different to the usual feedback process um and obviously the, that feedback the other way as well because you know if you've got a um, director of sports performance for instance um and it's perhaps the athletic director who line manages them so they're evaluating them on how they're running the department but they know nothing about sports performance they're from a different background you know how on earth do they really audit that department or know whether what how that department's running is good or not um and ultimately we're talking about student athlete health and well-being so you could have someone who is really not running the department that effectively you know they they they're putting risk on student athlete health and well-being but ultimately the athletic director 
has no clue that that's going on because when they review the department, they don't understand anything. So there's another layer to it there where things can be missed and that two-way process needs to occur. And, you know, this kind of independent evaluation, I think can help do that. 100%. You know, and I think just to kind of bring it full circle, how many times have coaches sat there and been like, when the athlete comes back and they're doing what they were supposed to do the four years they were with him, but they would never would do it for the four years they were with him just because all of a sudden some random person that they bump into it like Wegmans or some grocery store was like, you should do it this way. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I've been trying to get you to do that for four years and now you're going to do it. It's like sometimes just hearing it from a different voice is all you need to get the point across. Yep. Yes. It's one of the, one of the things you learn in coaching, I think. And, uh, that's one of the, you know, interesting, that's one of the things that veteran coaches seem to do so well. Um, they understand the, the kind of human being aspect and they could, they could coach or even sometimes let's say they don't have the best SNC program on paper, but they get the best results because they're getting that athlete buy-in or, you know, getting the, getting the coach to buy-in. So then the coach is also getting the players to buy-in and, you know, there's all those kind of aspects that we often sometimes forget about or certainly that don't get, as we were talking about, S&C degrees and things like that, that don't get taught and don't get looked at. Um, and, yeah, that, that human aspect is really important sometimes. No doubt about it. Well, listen, Andrew, let me get you out of here with this, bud. Where, where can people find out more, get involved, and, and all of those things when it comes to the organization? Um, I mean, the best way would be to um get onto our website which is www.iusca.org um we we you know we threw on all the social media channels as well uh we've got the journal which you'll you'll find linked from from the website so there's there's kind of all those aspects and information on there um you know you can sign up at the moment and it's you can sign up for free so you can get all of our content and everything for free through there learn about our uh, degree accreditation and external evaluation um, look to see if you can submit an article through through the journal uh, we have a community review aspect on that as well so we talked earlier about I, I think you mentioned sometimes you can try and publish a paper and it'll take 10 years to get published or something we have um, a really quick turnaround where if someone submits it, it's going to get published in community review within a month so you can submit that paper and then it'll go up online in what we call community review where it'll undergo traditional peer review, but also anyone from the SNC community can log in, comment on the paper, um, give some feedback like that. So really trying to engage a lot of the community and then it'll get, get fully published after that if it's accepted. So yeah, we, you know, we, we just want people to get involved and things like this only work if people get involved and collaborate with it you know, the ideas of this kind of bridging the gap and collaboration and everything else, it's, it's only really valuable if, if people actually make those steps and are willing to do it. So yeah, I, I encourage anyone to, to check it out and, and, you know, reach out to us and see how, see how we can collaborate and, and build some partnerships. Yeah, no, totally. We're going to make sure we got all that in the notes and everything, because this is great what you guys are doing and trying to trying to really help everybody move forward. So Andrew, I can't thank you enough for your time today, man. This is sensational stuff. I truly appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate coming on. It's been great to talk.
Yeah, man. Well, we'll be in touch real soon, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, man. Cheers.